having spoken enough times, both in homilies and in in parish missions, I've come to to learn that sometimes uh, it's best not to completely plan the the talks out too far in advance, uh, because the the Holy Spirit might might give me something at the the last minute to maybe inspire me. What should this what should this parish mission be about? What what particularly do maybe these people need to hear and you know, I will often pray for a, a sign, maybe, or, or something to help me know. And um, I was actually praying in the, the parking lot uh, just a little bit ago, right before here, walking back and forth and thinking, okay, God, it's kind of getting a little short notice. Uh, you need to you need to give me something. And and then it then it happened. I there it was. There was a sign, uh, just could not be missed, right across the street. There it was, an Amazon truck <laughs> right across the street making a delivery. And I'm thinking, it's 7 o'clock, and someone has got to have something delivered now, and yet there it is. Amazon is making a delivery. I, I once had one of those little Amazon notifications that said, your package will arrive you know, by 10 p.m. tonight. You've got to be kidding me. Amazon is going to make a delivery to my house at 10 p.m.? I mean, that's... I, that's crazy. And the reason I, I think this was my, my sign, uh, because the, the thought that occurred to me as that was happening was we, we really don't have to wait much for anything. If you want something, I, I can pull out my phone and, and say, I need this. Send it to me. And I noticed the other day, it said, it will be there in four hours. You gotta be kidding me, four hours. I can order it now and Amazon will deliver it to my house in four hours? That's just amazing. And yet, we've really grown accustomed, I think, to that kind of just radical ease of availability. We don't have to wait very long for anything. If you want it, there's a good chance you can get it. And, and pretty soon, I think Amazon is supposed to deliver it by drone to your house. I mean, you might say, I think I want this. And then, well, probably they're listening into your conversations on your, your phone. And so you can probably just think the thought. And if you say out loud, boy, it'd be nice to have that, that sweater. Next thing you know, a drone is going to fly up to your window and drop it there. I mean, we're, we're getting there. We do not have a sense of patiently waiting for many things these days. To really understand the the mystery of, of Christmas and really what it is that we're about to celebrate. Well, it's not a matter of, you know, getting just the right number of Christmas cookies or the right fudge recipe or popcorn balls or having the right Christmas parties or even the right Christmas sweater, as important as that might be. Um, the real mystery of Christmas, to really get what this is about, you, you really have to understand all of the Old Testament longing for the coming of the Messiah and everything that that meant. If you don't have that, then you won't get anything else right about Christmas. No matter how many cookies or popcorn balls you eat or how many times you watch Rudolph or Frosty, it just won't be enough. I know, I've tried. I've, I'm watching all the, the holiday shows. I'm going to concerts. I'm listening to music. I am, 
I am doing the Christmas spirit dream right now. I am living it. I'm going to see a Christmas carol later this week. I'm going to, to see Messiah and I'm gonna see the symphony do their hall. I got it all. I am filling my mind with Christmas. And it just won't be enough if we don't get what it really is like to long and really hunger and desire God. When Jesus came the first time, people had been waiting for at least 400 years. I mean, imagine living your life every day knowing that something is so wrong and so absent that you live every day of your life praying, come Messiah, come divine Messiah. Would that the Messiah would come today. We don't know how to wait for anything, yet alone wait on the coming of God. I think to some extent, we just assume that God will, of course, he's just always there. You know, if we want God, I can have God whenever I want that. And that's where I, I think it's beautiful to be able to have this 40 hours devotion here in the, the middle of Advent. You know, that devotion of 40 hours itself grew out more of the Lenten Easter experience. The, the 40 hours basically symbolically recounts the time of, of Jesus in the tomb from Good Friday to Easter morning. It grew out of the liturgical tradition at the end of the evening mass of the Lord's Supper on Holy Thursday to solemnly transfer the Eucharist to a, a place of repose and adoration. And there people would keep watch for, for 40 hours, really until Easter Sunday. So to some extent, it might seem out of place. Why, why 40 hours in the middle of Advent? But I think it, it just seems perfect to stir up this sense of longing again. If you don't know how much you need God, if you don't really know how bad things are, then there's no sense of desire. There's no sense of lack of fulfillment. If I've got everything because I can order it on Amazon or, or get it delivered to my house, I just don't even know what it's like today to say, I need. How many times have we said, I need this, and like we actually needed it? We don't even really need it. We can just want it and it comes. I think this is why it's so hard to actually experience Christmas the way our, our Jewish ancestors would have experienced the coming of the Messiah and everything that meant. Over these next 40 hours, we are here to stir up, I think, our, our hearts again, to long for God's presence. And to do that, you have to allow yourself to be a little hungry. You know, when was the last time any of us were seriously hungry in, in this part of the world, in the United States? You know, I've, I've been really blessed in my family. Um, if I look at food, I put on weight. It's, it's amazing because, I mean, God has blessed my family. They're all 400 pounds. And it's a blessing because if there were a famine, we are ready. I mean, a famine is not going to wipe out the Tunic family. I'll tell you, we are set. I could look at a blade of grass and probably put on 10 pounds. I'll be fine. No problem. We don't know hunger. Because the problem is, although I'm, I'm blessed with those kind of genes, there hasn't been a famine like that in the last 300 years. 
<laughs> so there's not a whole lot of chance of a major famine uh, hitting in my lifetime. So it's a, it's a bit of a mixed blessing, these genes of mine. We don't, we don't hunger. If, I mean, if we skip a meal, we think, oh my goodness, I'm fasting. Whew, that's hard. Like, uh, talk to some of our brothers and sisters in Africa and South America and places where there are real famines. We don't hunger. So I think it's hard for us to ever get around our minds real intense hunger and longing. I think if we do experience it, it's a bit more on the emotional kind of level because we have, we have the ability with all the material stuff, food and things we can buy, we can, we can cover a lot of those psychological kind of problems. Oh, I, I'm feeling a little down. Oh, there's a box of Oreos. That'll fix it. Been there, done that. Okay, it does for a little bit. And then you gain a bunch of weight and you want more Oreos. It's not a lasting kind of satisfaction. Nonetheless, if we feel uncomfortable in the slightest, there's, a, there's some junk food we can eat. There's probably a pill we can take. There's a doctor we can see. It's like, I feel uncomfortable, fix it. Imagine 400 years at least of, of waiting for that. That's, that's longing. We just celebrated yesterday the, the beautiful Sunday of Gaudete Sunday, in which St. Paul to the Philippians actually commands his listeners to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Gaudete in Domino Semper. And as if to you know, make sure he got his point across, I say it again, rejoice. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I always feel a little insulted uh, if someone is telling me, hey, be happy. Because although we might not long for a lot of material needs, sometimes we really do feel the, the kind of sadness, the really serious sadness that comes from knowing that I'm not fulfilled. What is my life about? Where am I going? Where is this world going? And if we look around, we can find lots of things in the world that maybe upset us. Is there really a lot to be happy about right now? And especially for the amount of suffering that is hitting our, our families. Think of all the, the difficulties and struggles. We have, you know, so many of our, our Catholic families are, are falling away from the faith. I, I did a funeral just the other day for a beautiful woman, her and her husband. Cradle Catholics lived all their life well. They had five sons and came time for communion. And I, you know, I said, as I always, you know, practicing Catholics, nobody left. I, I had almost a, a full church of people that at one time were, were Catholic. And what happened? It, it can really, you know, we can lose the faith in a, in a generation. There's some real hurt and, and struggle out there. So I, I don't know that, you know, hearing St. Paul tell us, you know, like rejoice, it's like, Paul, come on, put a sock in it. It's not a happy time. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on if you haven't seen Paul. We're hurting. Well, if, if Paul were simply telling us to be happy, well, this, this would be ridiculous. As someone who's struggled at various times in my life with depression, one of the worst possible things you could say to someone who is depressed is like, you know, what you need to do is cheer up. 
just want to punch him in the face. You know, choke. I hadn't thought of that. I should cheer up. That will make everything. Thank you. I hadn't thought of that. No, it, it, it can't be simply Gaudete means, you know, cheer up, be happy. Rather, I think it means to enter into this honest acknowledgement that we need the Lord. Things are not all good. Things are not all happy. We need God in a way that if we have God, then everything else that's going on around us, if there is depression, if there's struggle in the family, people are losing their jobs, people's health is in trouble. We've got this pandemic going on. There's lots of things we can look at to say, gosh, it's not good. How can we rejoice? But there's the key. What Paul is asking us to do is rather recognize that not not because everything's good, but precisely because things are, are not good, we, we need to consciously stop and decide to rejoice. Now, again, hear me, you cannot, in the midst of sadness and depression, decide, oh, I think I just need to be happy. It's not happy. You can, you can feel awful and decide, say, no, I choose to be thankful. I choose to recognize God's presence, that he's allowing this. I choose to recognize that God is with me. And that's, that's really the, the real meaning of what St. Paul says. If you listen to the whole verse that he says, Gaudete and Domino Semper, we all get that, rejoice in the Lord always. But why? Dominus enum prope est, for the Lord is near. That, that word prope in Latin means near. Why, why rejoice? like in the midst of all kinds of things going wrong, because the Lord is near, he is prope. We always focus on Gaudete, and ooh, I know a Latin word, look at me, I'm, I speak Latin, I know Gaudete. Well, I, I would offer to you the other Latin word tonight, prope, near. That's really what we, we celebrate tonight and at every Mass, that no matter where we're at, especially if maybe there is suffering, great difficulty, Maybe just not feeling good. There's a lot of weight, a lot of heaviness. I think one of the great blessings for us as Catholics is we, we know what to do with that. We, we can bring it someplace. We can bring it to this altar in the Eucharist and know Dominus prope est, the Lord is near. Now, notice that it doesn't mean just because the Lord is near that he, he fixes everything. This is, this is probably, if I had to say, where, what is the moment that takes people from a childlike sort of faith to an adult faith? It often centers around this exact problem of, of suffering and what happens when God doesn't answer my prayer and take away the pain. How many out there, you know, have prayed for their grandchildren? They're like, yeah, I see. My kids, my grandchildren, they're, they're not practicing the faith. They're not living the life I wanted them to live. That's not how I taught them. Well, we know then that God doesn't always answer prayers by fixing it right away. He didn't do that in the Old Testament. A lot of times they had to wait and wait and wait and really stir up that longing. And Paul is able to, to give the good news that the Lord is near, not to fix it, but something even greater 
Somehow Paul is telling us that the presence of God, that he would be right there present, is cause to rejoice no matter what else is going wrong. We see that in the the martyrs and the saints all the time. They go to their, their deaths, the greatest suffering. Talk about not happy. I mean, Lucy that we celebrate today had her eyes gouged out. And yet we know that when the presence of the Lord is there, that she had supernatural sight, that even her earthly sight being taken away could not harm her. She saw clearly what really mattered, the presence of the Lord. As we gather tonight and begin this 40 hours devotion then, I think it's beautiful that we we come in the middle of the night to, to start tonight. It warms my, my heart to think that for the next 40 hours, there will be people gathered near Prope, the Lord, as he gathers near to us. I invite you to really bring intentionally to these, these hours, these days, where are you, the people who sit in darkness, as we hear in the prophet Isaiah at midnight mass on Christmas? If we're going to be able to read those words at Christmas, The people who've sat in darkness have seen a great light. Well, we need to get in touch with the darkness, with the need, the things that an Amazon truck cannot just fix in four hours on our phone. It's okay to to go there. Whenever we buy all this stuff, when we, we turn to junk food or, you know, the internet or whatever we do, we're often trying to mask the need. I happen to invite you over these next 40 hours Don't be afraid to to go into the need deep. There there have been so many times where I just just have to go before Jesus in the Eucharist and and just sometimes I'm just bawling my eyes out, trying to say, Jesus, fix this. And that's, it's not wrong. It's not bad. We We should. Jesus says, ask for what you need. It'll be given you. Great. I do that. But probably the, the transition into the adult sort of faith and this doesn't matter how old you are, and <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, how many times you have to do it, because there are times where, yeah, I'm there. And other times, we're like, no, no, this time, Jesus, I really need you to fix this. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm near. That's what you really want. All these things we want God to fix, all these things that we think we need, behind all of it, we really need God. We really need the Lord to be near. And if we know that, then we, we've got the secret. As we go through these 40 days, I had a, a couple little symbols that I, I wanted to, to share with you a little bit. They're, they're ancient symbols, some of the most prophetic and uh, important symbols of, of Advent. This is my friend, the ox. Uh, this is my friend, the, uh, let's see, young one, only one kid. This is an ass. Okay, donkey, if you want. We're going we're gonna to put them here. All right. There you go. All right, we've got the ox and the ass. Donkey. These are part of every Christmas nativity scene that you will see. It's not complete without that. I mean, at the very least, if you go to buy a nativity scene, I found that you can buy Jesus, Mary, and Joseph 
kind of is the set. I guess that's the minimum. But the next thing you gotta have, it's the, the, the cow and the donkey. They just gotta be there. And, and we kind of think that, well, this, okay, they're, they're important because Jesus was born in a stable. So we need to have barnyard animals. Not exactly. Jesus is probably born in a cave that sheep would have been kept in. So sheep are probably important. But here's the deal with the, the ox and the ass. We really owe the entire notion of a Christmas nativity scene to St. Francis. He loved to meditate on the incarnation, the coming of Jesus as a little baby so much that in his imagination, he he wanted it to be so real that that he could know what it would be like to, to be there. And so in the year 1223, in the town of Greccio, Italy, he created the first nativity scene with living animals. He, he had a noble person who could have the means. Like, I wanna make it look like it looked the night Jesus was born. And it's interesting because Francis said, and there must be the ox and the ass. Now why? Because, well, those animals were there when Jesus was born? Yeah. The, the scriptures don't tell us. There were shepherds in the field, so presumably there were sheep, but there's no mention in the story of Jesus's birth of the the ox and the ass. But they are scriptural. They are some of the most ancient Advent symbols, and here's why. The the great prophet Isaiah, the one that we read a lot of in Advent, he's the one. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's him. That's Isaiah. Well, long before we get to that, the very first verses of the prophet Isaiah, this is a long book, but the very beginning there's this little line that is somewhat glanced over, throw away, people don't know what it means. But Isaiah says very matter-of-factly to begin his entire work that the ox knows its master and the donkey its master's manger. From those two verses, St. Francis said, we must have in our manger scene the ox and the ass. I thought about this, this verse, that the ox knows its master and the ass its master's manger. Thought about it the other day when over at St. Patrick's, I live with Father Mark Murtis, and uh, Father Mark has two cats. I've, I've never had animals before, but um, we have Derek and Madeline. Yes, they have names, and they, they, uh, they take over the house sometimes. Well, for a while, I, I shared duties of taking care of the cats. And that meant like, cleaning out their litter box and feeding them. And, you know, so I could kind of feel like I, they're kind of like my cats, too. Well, after a while, you know, Derek would get up in the morning and be scratching at my door and want to get in. And finally, I, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop being the one who feeds them. Because, like, they know if they see me, they think I'm going to feed them. And so they do not leave me alone. They're scratching at my door. Like, ooh, it's him. He sometimes gives us food. And that's what they think I'm there to do. So I finally told Father Mark, you know what, I'm just going to stop having anything to do with the cats so that they will leave me alone. 
And it worked. Father Mark feeds the cats, and they know that he's the one who feeds them. So they leave me alone. Father Mark went on vacation a week ago and asked if I would take care of the cats. Okay, I decided I would do it. And so I did. And it, it took like one day. And all of a sudden they realized, ooh, that's our master now. He feeds us. And they would be scratching at things because Father Mark gives them a little treat if they scratch on their little scratch pad. And all of a sudden they'd look at me. And so I would give them a little treat. And then sure enough, if I went to open the door to the basement, the cats would come running now and they're like, oh, he's the one who feeds us. They don't do this until Father Mark was gone. But as soon as they realized I'm the one who feeds them, like he's the one. And so they would run and I, and I would feed them. And then Father Mark came back and was very nice because I stopped feeding them. And they looked like, what happened? Don't look at me, I'm not the one who feeds you now. And Father Mark was back and now he feeds them and they leave me alone. They don't care because I'm not the one who feeds them. It's kind of nice now. Well, I, I thought about that in light of the prophet Isaiah there where he's kind of saying the same thing that's true of Derek and Madeline. The, the ox knows who its master is and the, the ass knows its master's manger. Manger is the food trough, by the way. When it says Jesus was laid in the manger, that's, that's the food trough for the animals. They eat out of the manger. It's literally saying the ox and the ass, they know who feeds them. They're just dumb animals, but they're smart enough to know who feeds them. Now hear the rest of Isaiah's prophecy. He says, the ox knows its master and the ass knows its master's manger, but Israel, my people, do not know me. Ouch. I, Isaiah is saying literally, you're dumber than an ox and an ass, Israel. You're my chosen people. I'm the one who feeds you. I'm your master. I give you what you need. Derek and Madeline are smarter than Israel, is what Isaiah is saying. They know enough to know who feeds them. The reason Francis wanted the ox and the ass in the manger is to remind us we've got to be at least smarter than these the animals. They were smart enough to know who feeds them, and Israel did not know. I especially think about that as we begin our 40 hours devotion, to, to think about how if we are to believe the, the surveys, the thing that gets me, apparently they surveyed like people who actually go to mass. So not like, not like the Catholics who are like, I'm a devout Catholic, and we know they're not. It's, a, it's kind of a rule of thumb. Anyone who says, ooh, I'm a devout Catholic, you can bet that they're not because devout Catholics don't have to say, I'm a devout Catholic, just do it. But amongst people who are actually Catholic and go to mass, apparently 70% of people that they surveyed did not believe that the Eucharist really is Jesus. I mean, that's astounding to me. Those are Catholics who go to Mass. I would think even Catholics who don't go to Mass could at least know this is what the, the church teaches. And no, These are the people who actually come every weekend, theoretically, to, to receive the Eucharist, don't even understand what it is. To me, that, that's, that's dumber than the ox and the ass. At least the ox and the ass know where the food is and who gives it to them. We have 
the, the greatest food that we could ever possibly hope to have. Talk about the Lord is near. It doesn't get any nearer than the Eucharist. He literally says, I want to be so near you now that it's something that none of the prophets in the Old Testament could have hoped for. They hoped the Messiah would come. And that was their longing for 400 years. Who could have imagined that the Messiah would come, give his life for us, and then give himself to us as food? That is astounding. It's the greatest miracle that could ever have happened. And I hear Isaiah saying to us, but my people do not know me. I have given you the greatest food that you could hope to have, the bread of life in the Eucharist, and my people do not know me. An ox knows its master and an ass its master's manger. But even my Catholics don't know that the Eucharist is my greatest gift. How sad, how, how tragic. There is no easy fix for this. The only solution is to deliberately do, as Paul says, to stir up our longing and rejoice that the Lord is near. We have to practice that over and over. We have to enter into the hunger to say there is something deep in us that cannot be fixed easily by a little more food or a little more stuff or a little more pleasure or a little more power. All that could do would be to mask the real hunger that is there. At least an ox and an ass know I'm hungry and this is where the food is at. So over the, the next 40 hours, I, I sent uh, Father McDonald on a little hunting trip to find the ox and the ass. We, we looked for some big ones in back. They'll appear at Christmas, I think. Uh, but we had these little ones. So uh, you that are here at the opening mass, you'll get the story. But we're going to take them over to the, the Adoration Chapel with the Eucharist. And we're going to put the little ox and ass next to the monstrance. And you guys are here, so you know the story. But maybe as we look at those, those animals, we can just remember to know where the food is at. To not be afraid to enter into the hunger. Whatever is wrong, wherever there's pain, suffering, whatever prayers you want to bring to this, stop masking the pain. Oh, everything's okay. No, it's not. There's plenty that is not okay. Don't cover it up. Don't hide it. Bring it to God and know that if we get really, really, really hungry, God will feed us. An ox and an ass know that. Derek and Madeline know who feeds them. But my people do not know. So many Catholics do not know the food of God. They do not know their master. They do not know who feeds them. And that is sadder than Derek and Madeline or an ox or an ass. So today, we're here humbly before God. We offer him the, the beautiful liturgy, and this beautiful church, this beautiful organ. So much in this place is, is just right for our Lord. Let's enter into it. Let's, let's acknowledge who our master is. Let's be smart enough to know who feeds us and where the food is at.